0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace. Offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started.
1: This is Britt Perry. You're listening to the Impact Outdoors podcast. Falconry is taking game with a bird of prey. You know, it is a legitimate form of hunting. So, you know, people might think falconry is like, oh, flying a bird or like a bird show, renaissance, like, I guess, display or light. It is not that. True falconry is taking game and hunting with your bird. This is legitimate game. So you can be anywhere from rabbits, jackrabbits, squirrels are a legitimate prey item also. But then you get into like catching ducks and quail, grouse,
2: Hey, everybody, welcome back to this episode here at Impact Outdoors Podcast. And man, we've got a great episode coming up to you again from the Hunt Fish Podcast Summit we did earlier this year with my good friend Britt Perry, who's uh, currently lives in Louisiana and works for NWTF as a biologist over there, working on the longleaf pine forests and restoration projects throughout, uh, I think, mostly western Louisiana and um she is also a falconer and we were so happy to have her come and join us over at the warren ranch this spring and um, bring some of her birds and and this podcast was awesome I learned so much about the the art and sport of falconry i had no idea about most of this this was a lot of new information to me which was really cool to learn and um can't wait to to let you guys listen to this episode a lot of funny stories and um, just she's a fun person to be around and really excited we had to have a chance to have her on the show so let's jump right into this episode with Britt Perry all right well we're uh we're uh, back here for another episode and I've got my friend Britt Perry here who is uh, joining us at the Huntfish Podcast Summit And uh, you came all the way over from Louisiana, right?
1: I did. I did.
2: And uh, so, I know I have um, got to meet you before. Uh, I was on my way to Nashville back in February, and... Chester's like uh, my buddy. Chester Moore's like, hey, I got somebody you need to meet while you're there, and and started a text thing. And and uh, next thing you know, I ran into you on the convention floor at the NWTF convention, and uh, yes. you know, we had a nice little conversation and and got to know you a little bit and talk about some stuff. And uh, and heck, man, here just a couple months later, you're over here with us at the podcast summit. I mean, isn't that how it works though? It's pretty cool. I mean, this <laughs> the whole community of just. Anything outdoor related, I mean it's 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 so um friendly and everybody just wants to hang out together and stuff and this right here is like the epitome of that. I mean it's just it's been a great time. And, no, uh,
1: I love just being surrounded by like the like minded people and they're like, Oh yeah, blah 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 and they're like, Wait, this person really gets it. Like, I love it.
2: Yeah. It's been fun. And we have and I've had like three or four people come up to me today. I mean this is like the second full day we've been here and um and they're like, it's like, how did you get so many different people, like, all these different backgrounds, from all these different walks of life, from all over the United States together, and there's, like, there's no drama. It's like, everybody's just having a good time, and everybody's, like, best friends now. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'd say I planned it that way, but you never know when you bring people together, right?
1: <laughs> I I mean, I suppose you're right, yeah. But, I mean, we're all here trying to like support the same mission you know conservation being outdoors hunting and fishing
2: Mm -hmm. absolutely so and you've got um you know you brought some friends with you from Louisiana. I did. And, and I really am excited to talk to you about this because I've never got to talk to you anybody about falconry, of all things. You know how many people were excited to hear there was a falconer coming to this event? I mean, it really kind of blew me away. I know. I was being like, like
1: royalty. <laughs> yeah.
2: So well, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, first I'd like for you to say kind of like what falconry, what the sport of falconry is. Because um, a lot of people may not know that, that it, it is a thing.
1: No, that that is very true. So, falconry is taking game with a bird of prey. You know, it is a legitimate form of hunting. Mm. So, you know, people might think falconry is like, oh, flying a bird or like a bird show, renaissance, like, Mm -hmm. I guess, display or flight. It is not that true falconry is taking game and hunting with your bird
2: so are we talking like mice rats different things or i mean are we talking like game? like we're hunting stuff to eat and and actually harvest for that purpose
1: no this is legitimate game so it can be anywhere from rabbits jackrabbits um, and squirrels are a legitimate prey item also okay. but then you get into like catching ducks and quail grouse
2: wow yeah i i didn't even you know i i kind of looked up the regulations in Texas to kind of see you know what what it said about falconry and stuff and, and the first thing that blew me away was like was ducks yes i was like ducks. that's nuts like i never i never even thought about that so what all have you um been able to do and hunt with with your birds.
1: So luckily, I have been able to get with um, and make like a really good network of falconers uh, during my like, I guess like time as a falconer. I mean, I've experienced many forms of falconry. That is like quail hunting with merlins, which are mm-hmm. a smaller species of uh, falcons. Duck hunting with larger falcons. Duck hunting with goshawks. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, you know, taking jackrabbits and quail and, you know, squirrels. Mm -hmm. I've been exposed to a lot of many types of falconry. And it's all exciting. Uh,
2: Yeah. And uh, it would be, I mean, it's got to be adrenaline pumping to to see this all (laughs) going down in front of you. And and how the heck did you get involved in in something like this because i mean this not everybody's going to do something like you know becoming a falconer and because i imagine you know it's a imagine it's a lot of work and and a lot of training i assume with the birds and stuff
1: okay so the way i got involved (laughs) and it's pretty simple believe it or not i was just on the internet and it was a friend of a friend of a friend and you know I saw on his like social media, him hunting with his birds. (laughs) And I was like, oh, that's a thing people still do. And I just could envision myself being good at that. And really (laughs) that's, that's all it took is me finding out it was still a thing, you know, knowing kind of like within myself, I'm just like, I'd be good at that. I want to do that. Turning around, doing a Google search I found my state club, so I was uh, in Texas at the time, and the the Texas Hawking Association is an amazing state club for falconers, so I was able to get a lot of information from them, and well, some background, whenever you are becoming a falconer, you have to go through an apprenticeship, and part of that apprenticeship is finding a sponsor, And a sponsor is going to be a falconer who's at, like, the general level, has been a falconer for five or so years. Okay. And um, they were able to connect me with, you know, someone really cool in my area that was local. And I went, and believe it or not, I met her at a Starbucks. And we only planned to, like, meet for, like, an hour or something, just have coffee together, and I was going to ask some questions. Oh, my God. We stayed there till the sun went down just kind of nerding out about birds and like talking about like hunting strategies and like the technical like aspects of falconry and training your bird to do these like incredible things and that girl became one of my best friends her name's like asha Rinsberg, and mm-hmm. she's like in the houston area
2: oh wow that's really cool um, so you kind of closed the Starbucks down that night.
1: <laughs> now I'm sure nobody <laughs> wanted to sit by us. <laughs> like, what are these yeah, girls are talking yeah, about? What are they talking about? <laughs>
2: well, that's crazy. Well, how do you um, like, what is the process of like um, finding your birds? Like, you know, I know you brought a a goshawk and a kestrel. Is that what you have? Here yes. With us? You know, like, where do you?
1: Where did I find them? Yeah. Like, did you
2: <laughs> catch them or <laughs> did you?
1: So most in. In North America, we are very lucky. So unlike a lot of places around the world, in North America, you can trap a wild bird and use it for falconry. Um, so most birds are taken from the wild. And of course there's rules to that mm-hmm. for sure, such as you want most birds are taken when they are out of the nest on their own. But they are still less than a year old. So, you know, kind of the young and dumb thing. They're malleable. They're trainable. And, um, yeah. So, I guess, like, going back to the original question, you were saying, how do you trap your bird? Or, you know, how do you find these birds? Well, it also goes back to, where are you in the U.S.? What do you want to hunt? What type of habitat is around you? Because Mm -hmm. that's going to, you know, dictate the type of bird you're going to get. Okay, right. So, in the southeast, it's very popular to squirrel hunt with, like, a red-tailed hawk. Because red-tailed hawks can catch squirrels. You're not going to try and use a, uh, like, a falcon to try and catch a squirrel. It's just not going to happen. They're not good at working through the trees, you know. They don't match. So let's just use that you know you pet you pick the best bird for the best habitat in the game species Mm -hmm. you have like the most of so red tail hawk you kind of uh you're going to learn about the bird anyway right but think about it where do you see red tail hawks like along fields on power poles Mm -hmm. okay let's go (laughs) let's go a hawk
2: oh my gosh so, what, I mean, how, what was the process of, of so like, currently, are these the only two birds you have right now, the, the goshawk and Correct. the kestrel? Correct,
1: I only have two.
2: Okay, so, give me an example of, of one of those, like how, Ooh. how I mean, I want to know, I want to know you how you You want to know? Yes.
1: Okay, okay. <laughs> we'll talk about the kestrel. Okay. Because I trapped her about two months ago. Okay. So, I was in Lubbock, Texas, and I was getting ready for kind of like the spring falconry season where you can catch invasive species because all the other like, I guess like game species, their season's close. So, I go after European starlings with a small falcon. So, kestrels like to be in like high up perches where they can kind of look down at a field and... You know they'll they'll eat like small mice, small birds, but they also love bugs. Well, so I start driving up and down um feet like uh roads like back in the country looking for a kestrel. So I look for the habitat. You know these nice little fields, and I start mm-hmm. looking at higher perches. And luckily, you know there are power uh power poles with lines, and that's a really good perch for them. Mm-hmm. So. Just go up and down in the habitat, and, and I find one. Okay, next step. <laughs> you, um, you, a popular way to trap most falconry birds is called a BC trap or balsheri. So envision like a wire mesh cage, and then you put a live animal inside of the wire mesh cage. So in this instance... It was a small uh, mat, like rat, mm-hmm. and on the outside of the cage is going to be nooses, and that's going to be like either a tough fishing um, line or maybe like a, like a wrapped wire. Mm-hmm. And look, I'm going to tell you, those <laughs> birds have great vision. So you just place that trap in a place where it will see it. And, you know, that trap might be like 40 yards or so away, but that bird will see it. It will see the small mouse in it, and it will go dive down and try and grab what's in there, and it will get its feet stuck in the nooses. And Hmm. uh, it works great, and it's very, very safe for
2: the bird. I think I envisioned somebody like trying to pull something in with a a prey item and then running out there with a net or something (laughs) and trying to catch it no
1: no they're smarter than that (laughs) this is an easier way
2: yeah it sounds uh it sounds effective for sure and um, um that's pretty cool so i mean when you when you got the kestrel um i'm assuming it was freaking out a little bit maybe when when you got to it i mean the birds are pretty pretty chill right now i mean they're <laughs> pretty cool pretty damn cool birds um yeah have been out showing them to everybody and stuff and
1: so, uh, yeah i mean you are completely correct this is a wild animal yeah. and it just got trapped so the first thing i do is run out of my car go and Maybe get my hand on the bird or throw a towel over Mm -hmm. it. You know, you don't want the bird to have that association with you and have that fear. Right. Plus, it, like, kind of calms them down. Yeah. And you Mm -hmm. just kind of unnoose their feet. You're secure. You're holding them, like, by their legs or, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. species it is. It depends. But, uh, you know, and then you... Go ahead and you either put it in a box or put equipment on it or in falconry we have hoods. Mm -hmm. So basically it's just kind of like a a bird hat that blocks out its eyes and keeps it dark so it's nice and calm. You know, then um, you bring it home, you put it on a perch and you let it calm down. You can take off the hood. And believe me, the bird will not be happy to see you. Yeah. But it only takes a little while. Like, you will have that bird feeding from your hand within, like, three days.
0: Oh,
2: that's crazy.
1: I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's really crazy. (laughs) They are so good at, like, positive reinforcement. Uh You know, the Like I said, the bird's not going to be happy to see you. It's going to be very scared of you. It doesn't understand you. But you show it the food. You offer it to it. You know, you might let it eat a little bit. And it's like, oh, I like that. So then they're like, oh, here's the person again. Well, I don't like them. Oh, food again? Yeah. And, you know, by the third time, they're like, hey, I want to see that person. (laughs) You (laughs) know, I want my food. They they're they're smart
2: yeah well, yeah they're very very smart and uh um that's just it's just crazy this is really cool to, to yeah, hear all yeah and this.
1: that's that's the start of the training
2: wow and so how often like i mean do you have do, i mean do you try to get them out in the wild like every day um like before you go to work or is it like in the evenings or do, you do a couple times a A week or, I mean, I assume they, you know, they got to have a pretty routine schedule to get out and move around.
1: Yeah. So, um, it depends on if it's like the hunting season or not or what stage they are at their training, Mm -hmm. but let's take a, uh, I don't know. On average, I guess I hunt during the hunting season at least three times a week. Okay. Um, Maybe, you know, sometimes more if I can fit it in, um, just depending on my schedule or whatever. But um, these birds are athletes, I guess, is the best way to think of it. Mm -hmm. So you can still be successful, you know, if you're going to be a weekend warrior. But you're going to have to exercise your bird, like, uh, at home (coughs) if you're not hunting and giving it, like, I guess, good ways for it to kind of build up muscle and be able to actually hunt with you and take game species.
2: Oh, I think my, my next big question yeah. a lot of people want to know, which you probably know what I'm going to ask, is how the heck do they know to come back to you?
1: <laughs> well, it all goes <laughs> back to the whole food association okay. thing. I mean, they don't have to come back to you. That's kind of the cool part of <laughs> all this is um, let's let's take it back, take it back, take it back, take it back. So you have the bird. It's now happy to see you because it's like, oh, this person feeds me. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Well, you know, you've been feeding it from either, I don't suggest your hands, but like maybe a long tongue. And now maybe you want to push the bird a little bit further like into a different comfort zone so you are holding a bird on the glove instead of letting it eat from the perch and you have like the piece of meat on your glove so the bird has to bend down and kind of like eat perched on your hand okay you know it 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 might not it might be scary at first but that The bird's going to want to eat. And it's Mm. like, well, I haven't died yet. So (laughs) I'm happy to be here. (laughs) So you do that. Okay, fine. Maybe you do two days of that. And the bird gets comfortable. He's like, yeah, this is where I go to eat. Duh. Well, guess what I'm going to do today. The bird's going to be on the perch. I'm going to have the piece of food on my glove. But I'm going to hold my glove a foot away from the bird. The bird's going to look at that piece of food, look at the glove, and it has to make the decision to come to you. So this whole time, you've been coming to the bird. This is like the most pivotal part, even more than taking game, is that bird has to decide to come to you. And there's no other way to really do it. You put your your hand there, and it might take like... Two days or something. Because that bird's not going to want to come to you. That is just like a whole other. Different
2: level. Yeah. That is a
1: whole different mindset. But you're waiting for it to click. Yeah. The bird will eventually decide. Like you know what? I haven't been harmed yet. That food looks really good. You know they did this yesterday. I didn't maybe get like as big of a treat as I wanted to. Mm Mm-hmm right there they will jump to your glove and you whistle you go and they're like oh what's that okay well the food cool guess what you let them have a little bit put that bird back on the perch you let make them do it again and now he's feeling like more confident like Mm oh well i jumped to that glove and nothing bad happened so yeah i'm gonna do it again jumps up gets the food okay fine now, I'm going to put my glove further and further away. Now, the bird has to either, you know, make maybe give me a little flap yeah. to the glove. Give them a treat. Mm-hmm. Whistle. And so, then the bird starts to know, like, oh, well, when this person puts out their hand on the glove and they whistle, that means there's a piece of food on the glove. So, I'm going to go there because I want to eat. Yeah, And it's just... It's simple. Yeah. You just have to be able to read your bird and have patience.
2: And be able to whistle really good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what if you're, uh, um, so when you're going out hunting with other falconers, mm-hmm. are y'all usually hunting within a certain proximity of each other? Or do y'all spread out far enough that the birds have kind of a large area to work, or... <coughs> or uh, Is it possible for two falconers to be out there and they're both...
0: (laughs) Fishing Like a Local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing Like a Local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
1: Most species of falconry birds, they do not hunt together, and you do not want them to even be in the same field, because they will attack each other. And, you know, that's just something natural Mm -hmm. they do. They're going to be like, oh, what's this other bird doing here in my, like territory i want to get you out of here because you know this is my food
2: i had this happen to me saturday (laughs) at my deer lease a totally random uh thing happened i'm sitting there turkey hunting Uh uh-huh and i've got my female hen decoy sitting out in front of me about 40 yards and haven't heard any gobbles all of a sudden i look down here's two birds running towards me and it was two hens come running in and started strutting And went to commence on beating the crap out of my (laughs) decoy. I mean, I am not kidding. I was like, are these jakes? I was like, "Nope, these were hens. I got it all on video. It was insane, you know. And so I assume, you know, that kind of mentality. Yeah. I was like, hey, you're in our area. Get out of (laughs) here.
1: No, basically that's it. You know, they see another bird there and they're like, hold up. No, thank you. And they'll go off and challenge them. So it's just, it's not a thing. Yeah. now there is a certain um other species of hawk that is unique to north america it's called the harris hawk mm-hmm. and it's one of the few raptors that hunts in groups which is really incredible to see mm. they make good falconry birds um personally i've never flown one before but i've seen a couple like working together it's incredible
2: mm-hmm. that's really cool so they ever uh Have they ever, like, strapped cameras and stuff on these birds when they're doing this? Or is that even possible? So,
1: last year, I made a head camera for one of my birds. Yeah? Yeah.
2: That's, how'd that turn out?
1: Well, I hate to put us down a dark hole, but (laughs) the bird that I trained to do that and wear the camera on her second hunt, she went down and uh, attacked a cottonmouth, and oh. unfortunately, she didn't survive. Oh, um, no. They, but you know what? The real cool thing about like red tailed hawks and most like of these mm-hmm. birds of prey is they have like a natural immunity to these venoms. Um, but she was just bit way too yeah, many. She yeah. got like a lot of body uh, bites and. Didn't huh. work out in the end for her.
2: Well, she learned her lesson not to mess with that snake, I guess. But oh no, yeah, <laughs> so shoot, man. And dude, crazy, and believe it
1: or not, that was the third time she uh, she got bit. So third time was really a charm. But normally, oh. you know, if they get bit on the foot, yeah. they'll swell up and it'll be gone in like a week or so.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's I don't want to say it's not a big deal, but you know, they have a natural kind of like Mm -hmm. immunity to that to survive that in the wild because that is a prey
2: item that they eat yeah Mm -hmm. that's crazy i've seen birds um, flying around after they've caught a snake before and i was like what the heck is that dangling (laughs) down from their talons like oh that's a damn snake
1: that's just their spaghetti for tonight yeah
2: so um, i like it's spicy yeah (laughs) that's crazy but um well, I, this is really a cool, uh, a cool topic in, um, um, I don't know, is there like, is this a pretty big deal in most states or is it like a Southern, like, like, like I know these birds are all over the United States, but, right. um, are there regions where this is more popular than others or are there states that it's not legal?
1: Oh, no. Um, in the U S, um, falconry is legal um especially like the continental Mm -hmm. u.s and alaska i'm actually not sure about hawaii believe it or not i'm coming up here as a falconry expert i'm like wait a second hawaii is that a thing probably (laughs) i don't know
2: getting them to attack kansas spam or something (laughs) like that over there so
1: i wouldn't (laughs) even know what they would (laughs) do more or less but anyways um There are some great areas um, for falconry that are really special. Um, I mean, Texas is one of them um, because you have so many different habitats that you're able to fly different game and different species of birds like in different situations um, where like, for example, like Louisiana is more like monotone and has more or less um, the same topography and stuff yeah so there's just not many opportunities for different types of falconry yeah but um really anywhere you choose is going to be uh falconry is possible
2: yeah some kind of opportunity to yes. in it. you
1: just have to look at the habitat and choose the best bird
2: yeah so you like in like in texas do you have to have a permit um like a falconry permit
1: Oh, for sure. You know, like, so a license,
2: it, like a hunting license type thing?
1: Yes. So, um, falconry, we use usually uh, wild birds. And around that is a lot of red tape. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we are very pri- like, privileged to do this. So, um, being what it is, it, it is kind of a process to get your uh, falconry license. So, step one. You are going to be an apprentice. So there's three levels of falconry. Apprentice, general, and master. Hmm. You start off as an apprentice. And you're required by the state to take a hundred question test and pass it. And it's like general falconry um, questions and philosophies and also your state rules and policies. Mm -hmm. So you pass that. You also have to find a sponsor. And we kind of talked about that earlier. So this person is going to be your sponsor for the next two years during your apprenticeship. They're going to be kind of responsible for you. They're going to teach you how to care for your bird. You know, they're going to help you trap your bird. They're going to help you hunt Mm -hmm. your bird. And make sure that you are down like a good path of falconry. Right. Then the last kind of thing is an inspection. So a uh, state representative, which is either going to be like a game warden or your falconry coordinator for mm-hmm. the wildlife and fisheries in that area, is going to come to your house, and they're going to just look at your equipment and look at where the ha- bird is going to be housing. So the birds, they call it a mew, which is kind of like the cage that they, th- they'll uh, like be living in. Mm-hmm and they just make sure that it's safe and like legitimate equipment.
2: Yeah. So what stage what stage are you at right now? I'm
1: a general level falconer.
2: Yeah. So how many years have you been doing this? 5. 5. That's so cool. It's <laughs> really really cool. Um and, you know, if we were here at the right time of year, there's all kinds of stuff you could hunt at this ranch.
1: Oh, I know. <laughs> like, <laughs> West Texas is so great for falconry. You got all this open sky, you yep. know, jackrabbits. Like, that's a fun quarry.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. we've got lots of jackrabbits out this direction. And uh, I know down where I hunt, down near Fredericksburg, Texas, man, there's... They are everywhere, so yeah. um, that's really cool. So,
1: <laughs> drop me some coordinates. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. We'll have to when it's season. We'll have to maybe get you over there. That'd be cool to, to, to come do. So then we can go kill some pigs or something. So
1: I'm into it.
2: <laughs> so we'll get Chester over there with us. And maybe do a photo shoot or something. You know, he's always into that. So,
1: well, there is an event in North Houston area, which I know you're more close to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a squirrel meet put okay. on by the Texas Hawking Association. So that would be something more local. It's at the end of February, so mm-hmm. we missed it. But Yeah, you know, I know you were talking about
2: it to me when I think we were in Nashville. You said I think it was like the weekend after the convention or something. Yeah. But yeah. I wasn't able to yeah. attend. Yeah. Yeah. Well maybe next year we can we can uh, come and see that if it's if it's still in the same spot. So Oh, and cool. it's so much fun. Yeah. Man, I'll have to bring the kids up there or something. Mm-hmm. So well I know um, You know, we met over in Nashville, and I know you do a lot of other interesting things, and you're currently working for National Wild Turkey Federation, correct? Yes, I am. So kind of what what capacity are you there um, with NWTF, and kind of what's your role with them over there in Louisiana right now?
1: Yeah, so I am on a project where I am restoring longleaf pine habitat, Mm -hmm. and, you know... That's a very important part of uh, like Louisiana and the type of like ecosystem we used Mm -hmm. to have down there. It's a lot of it needs to be restored because we are having, uh, I guess, like a lot of slash pine being grown, a lot of loblolly where Mm -hmm. it used to be longleaf pine. So just trying to restore that, create habitat um, for turkeys and you know what's good for the turkey is good pretty for good for everything, everything
2: else <laughs> yep yeah and is that um is is Louisiana where you're at it's like you know I spend a lot of time over in East Texas and it's heavily used for for paper products and stuff i mean those trees i mean most of the land is owned by you know companies um that that harvest the trees yes you know is that the same on the louisiana side or
1: um luckily where i am i have a lot of like wma wmas and um like the national forest and surrounding me but yes lot of like you know lumber
2: mm-hmm.
1: and paper uh kind of timber right. which is Kind of the downfall of that habitat because longleaf pines grow slow. Well, you know, all these other pine trees grow fast. So, which one do you think they're going to plant? Yeah, they're (laughs)
2: going to replant the ones I get the most money out of the quickest. Yeah. So,
1: So we're just trying to have programs that we will cost share and like incentivize people to plant longleaf. Or, you know, if they already have longleaf, um, It's a very natural uh, land management practice. It's called prescribed burning, which, Mm -hmm. you know, you look back at um, how the land was back, uh, I guess, before, like industrial. But, you know, fire is a naturally occurring event in these forests. So we will manage that. So let's say the understory is super thick. Well... You know, a turkey isn't going to go through that understory. It's too thick. It's also shading out, like, natural, like, grasslands that should be underneath this mm-hmm. pine forest. So, the birds don't even have anything to eat. Yeah. So, using fire to kind of kill that and promote the growing of these natural mm-hmm. grasses, you know, it, it creates habitat.
2: Yeah, if people, I mean, it's so easy to go online and look at the difference. I mean, I'll just use East Texas as an example and just seeing what it looked like 100 years ago, you know, 80 years ago. So different. It, it was a 180-degree difference. And then now, you know, we're primarily, you know, going over on national forest land and stuff like what you're referring to. And, and um, you know, they have their management schedules where they do burn you know certain areas each mm-hmm. year move around and try to do that on, on certain schedules and stuff and it's so cool to see the difference i mean you're talking about two pieces of land right next to each other separated by barbed yep. fence and one uh, might be full of turkeys but they're not going over that fence because they, they're i mean they can't they can't live over there they can't no. can't strut they can't get away from predators if they're on the ground fast enough things like that and and um you know, and and like you said, you know, what's good for the turkeys is good for everything else. So
1: Yeah, certainly.
2: I, I really hope um, that message can just keep getting pounded into the ground for people to understand. Oh you yeah you know, rebuild the habitat and do do what's right and uh, and um, kinda make it back the way it used to be.
1: Basically, so. you know, biodiversity needs to flourish.
2: Mm-hmm. So um and I know there's, I mean, there's so many other projects over there, but kind of talk about some of the um, the incentive programs more specifically that you're working on. So as far as like with the long longleaf pine and stuff, like how yeah. does that work for landowners?
1: So it's very straightforward. Very straightforward. I offer to cost share like either planting longleaf pine mm-hmm. or prescribed burning. So simple example. Um, I'll have a landowner and he has 50 acres of, uh, longleaf pine. Well, the longleaf pine is a mess. You know, there's just privet in the understory and, you know, I'll come out, I'll take a look out of it. And I'm like, you know what? Yes, let's, this, this land needs a burn. So I will, uh, offer them a certain amount of money to help pay for them. To burn their land. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just with that extra cash, they're able to do these land management practices where maybe before it was too expensive to, like, manage their land Mm -hmm. uh, and create habitat. So, you know, it's kind of just reaching out to a lot of uh, landowners and uh, helping them. And then that just kind of creates more habitat.
2: Are people surprised that those programs are there? Because I think a lot of a lot of the issues is that people just don't know about that stuff, and I know NWTF does a great job of like getting that information out to people. But there's a lot of other programs that that you know the money's sitting there waiting to be spent, and but like nobody's applying for it.
1: Right. You know?
2: I'm like well, you got to tell them, you know, and and stuff. And I mean, I one example, my they had um, in our, some family land we had back in Oklahoma. We had one big reservoir on the on the property. Um, And they had massive flooding event. I mean, for like two weeks, it Mm -hmm. rained multiple inches like every day. And um, it rained so much it blew the dam out on the lake. And my cousin that lived there, he never called and and told me what happened or anything. and Not that he had to or anything, but I was like, man, I wish you would. When he told me what happened, I I called the, the county ag agent.
1: Uh huh. Right off the bat, I
2: was like, hey, is there anything we can do about this? Because, like, this is a great place to fish, and I'd like to see if we can get some money to get it. There's so many programs. He's like, yeah, man, I could have paid for the whole thing, but the deadline was five days ago. You had 60 days to file a claim or something like that. And I was like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) And uh, that hole in the dam's still there. So. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I uh,
1: I run like my desk is located uh, inside of the local like NRCS office, and the NRCS and you know you have the Soil and Water Conservation mm-hmm. and Louisiana Wildlife and Fisheries. We're we're all in that building. Mm-hmm. There's so many government programs that can help pay for different land management um, practices, and you know. We This is its own thing, but just Google it.
2: Mm-hmm. Just Google it. Yep. Yep. And uh, it's cool. I mean, look it up. Look where, wherever you're at. Look up, you know, if you're needing assistance and stuff like that for those programs. And, and uh, I mean, usually it's just free money sitting there on the table.
1: Yeah. And so, to kind of go back to what you were saying, like, you know, people don't know about this. Well, I've been... Um, in this position for i don't know maybe half a year now i'm still kind of new to the uh, organization but uh i i'm gonna like put on a couple events and try and uh get that out there Mm -hmm. but i haven't decided uh what i'm gonna do yet but you're correct and it does need to be you know said and put out there like we're here to help
2: yeah yeah, and I know you'll do a good job with that and stuff and, and uh, look forward to kind of see the, the progress of some of your projects you're working on and stuff here in the future. So, um, well, cool. Well, I want to let everybody know, like, do you have, like, some social media stuff where they can follow along on some of your adventures? with? Your, and, and do your birds have names? Do you <laughs> name
1: them? Yes, my birds do have names, <laughs> um, except for one. So... <laughs> All of my birds have had, like, names. My goshawk is named Dogwood.
2: Okay. But That's the cool
1: kestrel man. that I got, again, you know, I trapped her only about two months ago. And I decided. And she's she's just kind of like a spring project bird. I do plan on releasing her probably around mid-summer. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, oh, yeah, you know, I'm not going to name this bird till it starts, like, catching game. Well, guess what? I'm catching game. Like, we go out and we catch European starlings, and I still haven't named her. So, <laughs> you know, bad on me. I just call <laughs> her the Kestrel.
2: The Kestrel. Well, <laughs> it's, a, it's a cool thing. But where can people follow you? Are you on Instagram or Facebook or anything? Yeah, so
1: I created a new account kind of like recently on Instagram okay. for my falconry. So, go to Instagram. It's winged underscore hunt.
2: Alright, and it's pretty cool. You got a lot of cool stuff on there. Yeah, I'm
1: hoping to grow it and, like, maybe get some cool, like, videos Mm -hmm. and, like, just some really good information to put out there and maybe, like, inspire other falconers or... You know get people outdoors anyway
2: yeah well it's a very unique path to to doing that and um one that i think is uh really cool and especially with people like yourself going out and promoting it i think it's going to grow that sport and um and bring more awareness to it and and kind of the cool factor i mean it's a pretty damn cool (laughs) way of hunting so yeah
1: (laughs) I mean, you want a challenge. Let's Heck make it, it the hardest we can. Yeah, right.
2: So, well, cool, Britt. Well, I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much for coming over here to the summit. I hope you've had a great time. And um, and uh, I know you got to get a pig the other night. You got a big wild hog, <laughs> didn't you?
1: I did. So. I did. And I mean, how cool. We were all, like, hanging out, like, best friends, like, going on a thermal hunt. Like, whoop. Who does that? <laughs> we're having so much fun here.
2: Yeah, it's good. And the food ain't been too bad either. So I know we're having a little Cajun throwdown tonight. So I don't know what all they're cooking back there, but it sure smells good. So
1: I mean, you know. if it can beat the Red Stack Burger we had this for lunch, yeah, it's like, oh my
2: gosh, yeah. And the ranch provided that for us. So thanks to, to Travis and, and, and Shelby for um, providing the meat for that. That's a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool way to have lunch. And uh, yeah, so uh, let's go see what's for dinner awesome all right thanks
1: no thanks for having me
2: all
0: right pursuing wild game in wild places in to HuntStand presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Oh, that's awesome. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.